Hey, I'm Chris Cooper. I took a 200-word blog and built a $25 million mentorship company from it. It wasn't easy, and I had to learn some huge and expensive lessons along the way. But now I'm sharing those lessons with other business coaches and mentors and high-level entrepreneurs in this podcast. Want to chat with me? Go to businessisgood.com and click join the movement. We'll see you there. Fix the leader, fix the business. My friend Aaron Stokes of Shop Fix Academy told me that. It was one of the best lines I've heard this year. I'm Chris Cooper. This is Business is Good. And today I'm talking about the quicksand of control. In this series, I've been talking about the natural evolution of a business and the things that stop it from growing. The things that stop the business from evolving are usually all inside the owner's head. So in the systemized phase, the founder must get the operating instructions for the business out of their head and into the heads of their employees. If they don't, then they'll never be replaceable and they've just bought themselves a job instead of actually building a business. They must overcome that swamp of perfection and the idea that they can just do it better, faster by themselves. Then in the optimized phase, the founder must hire people who are more skilled at their particular skill than the founder can be. Founders are generalists. They're pretty okay at every part of the business, but they have to hire specialists to take them to the next level. And specialists are expensive. And it's scary for the founder to say, I'm not the best person for this job, or you know more about that than I do. And we call this the valley of death. Now, if the founder can get out of their own way, they can reach some pretty respectable heights. Multi-million dollar businesses run by excellent staff and polished systems. Their business becomes valuable and attractive to buyers for the first time if this happens. And it could probably carry on for a decade if the founder doesn't make any big mistakes. The business at that point, after the valley of death, has some momentum. And the founder's job is simply just to keep pulling the team forward doing their jobs, giving them rewards and incentives to keep doing well. But to really scale, to reach the next level where the business becomes self-replicating and the clients are self-referring and the business becomes the default choice in their category, then the business has to begin to generate its own momentum. And that means the founder who pushed that car up the hill first alone and then pushed it a little bit faster with the team and eventually got into steer while the team kept pushing, that means the founder has to hand over the wheel. This means that at this stage, decisions have to be led by data, not the idea of the founder. The company has to produce metrics and dashboards to understand its progress at a glance. For example, our, our dashboard at TwoBrain includes leads, sales calls booked, sales calls appointments taken, sales calls closed, conversions, ascensions, retention, client headcount, gross profit, and net profit. And then historical performance should be modeled into financial projections. Should the company increase pricing or increase the marketing budget? Well, the first step is to look at retention and conversion metrics and then build financial projections to help the leaders decide. Again, it's no longer up to the gut feeling of the founder as to what is best for the company. The next step is that an executive team with high levels of trust and skill should lead and manage their own specialties. At this level, these leaders really run the company. And if the founder disappeared, the staff might notice, but the key metrics wouldn't change. That's really key, that the key metrics of the company would not change if the founder disappeared, if the company is ready to scale. 
Many companies at this level follow a traction model for reporting and executive leadership. I'll post a link to that below. It's a great book. The executive team might have managers to lead different departments or teams. And so, for example, at this level, we have a head of media and a head of sales, and they report to the CMO. We have a lead mentor, an app developer, and a lead curriculum developer, and they report to the COO. Their job is to manage quality of their team and work to improve it. If the improvement in the company is always driven by the founder, then the company doesn't have its own momentum yet and it can't scale. And this is important because if the if it's the founder who's always like fixing and updating the product, then they will always be tinkering with the product instead of making decisions based on data and the company again will be held back by the founder. So when a business escapes this quicksand of control, it can become a movement. However, if the owner still has the responsibility to inspire the movement and create energy and passion for the customers and team, then they're still stuck in the quicksand of control. And if the owner relinquishes control too early, the business could lose momentum and slide backward. There are certainly days when every founder is tempted to just walk away, but if their operations aren't sound or their marketing doesn't work without them, then the business will lose momentum and slide backward. And so this creates this paradox of leadership when it's time for the business to scale. Letting go of control is ultimately required to scale, but if it's done too early, then the the like the company will just lose its way and slide backward. You have to see signs of momentum, recognize them as signs of momentum, and know when to get out of the way bit by bit. So how do you know when it's time to get out of the way, relinquish control, pull your feet out of the quicksand, and let your company scale on its own? Well, when operations are running without the owner's participation, you might not even know what the ops are, you might have to check. And when the failures in your operations are caught and corrected by the team, not the owner, and when upgrades to your content, your curriculum, your ops, your systems, are found and tested and implemented by the team instead of by the owner, and mistakes made with clients and billing and marketing are caught and corrected by the team instead of the owner, that's when it's time for the owner to start backing away. Also, another great sign is when clients start to find hacks to the system and create new pathways on their own. So for example, when a group of your clients starts their own monthly group calls on their own, then the team says, hey, that's working for them, let's add monthly small group calls for everybody. But the, the key is that the team identifies these hacks and tests them and decides whether to implement them or not. It's not up to the owner to constantly be looking for these little hacks by the clients and finding them and testing them. So in effect, the team owns every facet of the feedback loop. They initiate new ideas, they remove the ideas that are no longer working, they catch and correct problems on their own without the owner. When the team owns that feedback loop, it can own the upgrade process and make each part of the business better than the owner could. Here's an example. Before our 2019 summit event, I got food poisoning. I missed my flight to the venue. The team went on without me and they arrived on time, they set up. I showed up two days later when everything was set up, the stage was built, the tables were set. Registration was actually open at the hotel when I got there and the event was about to start. So I walked into the room and to my absolute surprise and delight, I found happy clients being greeted by excited staff, getting really cool bags of swag and, and hugging everybody. There was music playing, there was this atmosphere of reunion among long lost friends. And then I watched the event unfold. I delivered my one hour keynote at the end and then I got on the plane and left. And the event was twice as good as the events where I was the coordinator and the MC. And so while these events, these summits are a small part of our business, it was the first real proof that the team could run at least one facet of the business better than I could. And now I stay out of the way. I don't really do anything with Summit anymore because they're better. 
handing over control of the product and the marketing and the operations, that can be an active retirement for the owner. I get that. And you might not be ready to retire, but you have to remember that it can also be an active service. The founder of the company must get over their own ego and say, this event or this product or this service or this mentorship, this coaching is better for everyone if I'm not involved because they're better at it than I am now. Now I get it's really hard to hand over your baby because you've cared for it for so long. It's scary and since most founders determine their self-worth by the success of their business, it's sometimes really, really impossible to detach. The key is to ask yourself, what's the best thing for my clients right now? And then recognizing when they're better served by somebody else. For me, this meant handing over control of my team and handing over control to my community. Our CSMs are more welcoming and empathetic than I am. Our mentors are more experienced and better trained than I am. My COO is a better manager of process and people than I am. Our head of sales is better at enrolling clients than I am. Our media director is better at producing media than I am. Our CMO is better at coordinating ads and events and media and promotion than I am. Our events director is better at putting on amazing events than I am. And our community is better at supporting each other than I am of supporting each one of them because it's so big. My job is to connect these people and inspire the movement. Luckily, I'm so inspired by our clients, the gym owners of the world, that inspiration is not hard for me to find and share. To steal a line from Ted Lasso, I own it, but it belongs to them. So one final example here. When I announced that we were capping our clientele at a thousand in two brain business, my ops team was on board. My sales and marketing teams were a little bit reluctant, but they accepted the rationale. The pushback on that decision came from the community. It sounded like this, and I heard this dozens of times. Coop, how can we possibly turn a gym away who needs our help? Our help. This was coming from the community who wanted to help by bringing people into my business. One of my clients sent me that message and then I got it again and again and again, dozens of times, and that was really powerful. I had consulted our team about the decision, but the movement now has its own momentum and I realized that I'd be dumb to fight it. Our clients don't see our metrics, but they see our ethos, which is help first. And so I explained to this client that we'd continue to publish free help for all gym owners, whether we had space in our program or not. But the explanation felt hollow even as I was writing it because I knew that I can't resist the tide. The movement has its own momentum now. If clients keep pulling in their friends, then I'll just step out of the way and let the momentum take the company where it will. And this is eventually what gets you out of the quicksand of control is being pulled by your community and being aware of these metrics and uh, being pushed by your team. Hope it helps. This is Business is Good. And if that is helpful for you, just go to businessisgood.com, click join the movement, and we can talk about this in person. Thanks for listening to Business is Good. If you'd like to chat about this episode or the blog post or podcast that I put on the Business is Good site, just go to businessisgood.com and click join the movement. We'll see you there.